following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. We are starting a new series today called Make Peace, which I promise was planned months ago, but which feels very timely. Even just the words make peace feels very timely, right? I don't have to tell you, but I will anyway, that the war in Ukraine is ongoing, the conflict in the Middle East has escalated beyond where it's been in recent memory. Um, and we've had the latest mass shooting, which happened just a few towns away from the place where I grew up uh, in the state of Maine, which is very close to my heart. Um, and you could add to that list. If I gave you 10 seconds, you'd come up with five more things. Suffice it to say that the, the passage from Isaiah that we heard read earlier um, about the wolf living with the lamb and nobody hurting or destroying anything all on God's holy mountain is, is both achingly, achingly beautiful and achingly far away from the reality that we can see as we look around. And so make peace. <laughs> what can we do? We are actually in this series using something, um, we're basing this series on the curriculum that our children's ministry is using around the same time. And so it's actually a great opportunity for families to talk together about some of this stuff if you uh, feel like you're ready for that. I want to show you um, the key verse for us throughout this series, and it has an accompanying prayer. It's from Matthew 5, 9. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then the prayer says, let me be one who tries to live as a maker of peace. And I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer, including the Bible verse, with me aloud right now. Will you do that? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let me be one who tries to live as a maker of peace. Amen. Um, today's topic is, uh, and title is Cultivate Inner Peace, which is both <laughs> sounds impossible and pointless, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> how, how much do you like doing things that are both impossible and feel pointless? I don't like it very much. But that's where the curriculum starts, and I think it's very wise that it starts there. And I have a few thoughts. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit here through my notes, so bear with me as I do that. But there's a few things that I do want to say about this. Um, and and I, Because I really do believe that it matters, that cultivating our own inner peace um, is not impossible and actually, in fact, is also not pointless. Right? Um, but you might be wondering, like, how to do that in this season. Now, I don't have any ironclad, like, you know, quick three-step things that would be guaranteed to give every person 20% more inner peace. If I had that, I'd probably be selling it on TV after midnight, <laughs> which would tell you that it's fake. <laughs> but here's some things that I would offer to you. The first one is to be like Jesus, specifically in the way that he often retreated to a quiet place to pray. 
Jesus did this many times. If you read all four Gospels, you'll see Jesus doing versions of this. Uh, as I was reading through them this week, my favorite one that popped to mind was Luke 5, 15, and 16 that said, But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. The idea that a local celebrity teacher is getting more and more popular and having more and more impact and then chooses more and more often to go away from the crowds is really powerful to me. Um, Both as a person who stands up and does teaching uh, sometimes on spiritual matters um, and as a person who's kind of a performer by hobby, like when people are coming out (laughs) more and more often, that's when you want to lean in and do more and more with them. Talking, teaching, performing, whatever it might be. And what Jesus does is gets away from them more often. And I think what this really means is, is for us is, is that the practice of contemplation is one of the ways that we can cultivate our own inner peace. And what is contemplation? Well, you know, uh, you've probably heard, if you've been around, my favorite definition of it comes from Father Richard Rohr. Contemplation is a long, loving look at what is. <laughs> Which is, sounds impossible right now, doesn't it? But contemplation is simply listening for and and cultivating a connection with the divine um, and with the larger web of life around you through practices like prayer and meditation. Now, when I say to you, cultivate inner peace by retreating to a quiet place with frequency to pray or to meditate, I hear the objections already emanating from you. I heard them as I was writing the sermon this week. I don't have time. Well, of course you don't. No one does. You also, guess what, don't have time to go grocery shopping, to load the dishwasher, to pump gas, to binge watch Gilmore Girls again. (laughs) But I bet there's someone in the room who did all those things this week. I'm more of a Deadwood guy myself, but... We all find our thing that's like, we got to unplug, and sometimes unplugging is healthy, and sometimes we unplug a little too much for a little too long into a place that's a little too dark or empty. It won't do any good. Won't do anything. Well, that's not really the point of contemplation to do something or to do some good. Also, I think you're wrong on a neurological level, but that's probably a different topic. Uh, I would say this. Your brain, your mind, your heart is racing on all of the things that are happening in the world anyway. You might as well set aside a, a place and time and posture in which to do that with a little bit more spiritual intention. Because I think what does happen when you take some time away to retreat, to contemplate, to meditate, to pray. All of that um, noise, it doesn't go away, but you you learn skills for how to uh, notice it, to acknowledge that you can't get rid of it, that you can't fix the world, and to accept that that is your reality, to be okay with the fact that you can't fix everything. Another objection, I don't know how to do this. Well, this I might be able to help with at least a little bit. My first tip 
for how to be a better contemplative is lower the bar. By the way, this is my first tip for almost any meaningful endeavor. <laughs> learning the piano, uh, learning how to pray, learning how, as we'll talk in a minute, to love your neighbor. <laughs> lower the bar and start smaller. Listen, I don't know very many things about the world, but I do know one thing. There are many, many, many spiritual mountains that have remained unmoved as a consequence of all-or-nothing thinking. I can't tell you how many spiritual mountains have remained unmoved because somebody fell into what we in the uh, mental health counseling world call a cognitive distortion of all-or-nothing thinking. You do not have to do all of the contemplation, all of the meditation, all of the prayer that you think is correct in order for it to be useful to you and potentially eventually to the world. So, retreat to a quiet place to pray or whatever equivalent you have. By the way, not everybody uh, has a brain that's super well equipped to sit in silence for 20 or 30 minutes. Dorothy Day, the, the Catholic uh, uh, workers' rights advocate, famously did not do uh, like that sort of silent meditation. She did her meditation and prayer while she was working. She kept her hands busy and her mind and her heart focused on the things of God. And, and for some of you, you, you will benefit from you know, the equivalent of a, of a fidget while you're doing this sort of work in your heart. But I just need to come back to you and just poke you one more time about, about the time. Can you turn off your murder podcast for five minutes this week? On, during your commute, right? Um, I, I tried to get away with telling my spiritual director recently that I didn't have time to, to, to think about that in a prayerful way. And she's like, well, don't you drive 20 minutes to and from your internship site three times a week? And I said, yeah, but I got stuff I listen to on that commute. And she's like... So I, I offer that to you as well. I'm just going to pass it on to you so I don't have to deal with it myself. <laughs> Relatedly, here's step number two for cultivating inner peace. Turn off your phone for Christ's sake. Will you please turn off your phone? Right? I'm not trying, I am trying to be a little glib, but I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to swear. I'm saying for the benefit of you and Jesus' ability to get through your thick skull and mine, and mine, would you please turn off your phone once in a while? When's the last time you even did that? When I sold my last one, I had to turn it off. I'm begging you, turn off your phone. It has a button right on the side. You can press it and hold it, and it shuts off completely. It's way better than do not disturb. I don't know about you, but I have a person in my life who gets through my do not disturb. All right, turn off your phone. I'm not kidding about that. Please turn off your phone. I'm sorry if that seems boringly practical. I know it would be much more exciting if I had a mantra to share with you or a prayer that's so profound that it would grant you five minutes of inner peace twice a day if you really needed it. Listen, part of the reason I ask you to do this is that we are not, as a species, evolved to the point where we are ready to take in the problems of the entire world all at once. Now, I understand you and I both want to care about all of the problems in the world because we believe that we're called to love others. I'm going to get there eventually. We are not ready in our brains to cope with the tragedy of every community on the planet we are already in our brains sometimes to cope with the tragedies in our own little communities. 
And that phone just connects you to everything. To say nothing of the distraction and the problems that we are all aware of with social media. Listen, I know you're saying, I need to be connected so I can, I can make my difference in the world. And I, I hear you, I promise I hear you, but how many of you who have posted an opinion on social media about the conflict in the Middle East this week have even called your representative to ask them to do anything about it? How, would you, how many of you would even know what you would ask your representative to do? I know it's not zero. Okay, I see you. There's a line in a brilliant song um, called Everything is Permanent by the band Dawes. At the end of it, the refrain is, did you really need to cry or be seen crying? And I think that some of our work that we purport to be doing in the world is actually performance. I really think that's true of myself and I, I bet of a lot of you as well. And turning off my phone, which I've, I'm not sure the last time I did it either, is one way that I might cultivate a little bit more inner peace for myself. And the last thing is this. I'm going to encourage you to simplify your ethics a little bit. As a, as a pathway to more inner peace, simplify your ethics. Do you remember today's gospel reading? Before I started being mean to all of you <laughs> over and over again repeatedly. I'm not done yet. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, which meant all of the recorded, received religious wisdom and truth that had been written down in the sacred scriptures. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. That's what Jesus said is the most important thing. That's what he said, in fact, is not only the most important thing, but the all-encompassing thing, the one that covers every base. Now, how does simplifying one's ethics create inner peace? Well, I will give you, uh, probably at great risk to my reputation, a specific example, which is that I have been hesitant to comment pastorally on the conflict in the Middle East at all. It's not because I haven't seen the same news as you. It's not because I don't have the same feeling in my heart when I see the images and videos as you. It's because I, well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but the ones I wrote down in my notes are these. It's very complicated, the situation, and I really do believe, I re this I believe, <laughs> that anyone who sees this series of events in Israel and Palestine and Gaza um, as having a crystal clear definition of some good guys and some bad guys is probably thinking too narrowly about the situation. To me, not that I have all the wisdom in the world, but what it looks like to me is a lot of bad guys all around and thousands and thousands of innocent people bearing the consequences of the actions of the bad guys on both sides. And truthfully, beyond that, I don't know what to say, let alone do about it. And that in itself is very overwhelming and, and somewhat embarrassing. Right? It's probably embarrassing for all of us to not have, if we don't have a, a real good, strong, Support, well-supported opinion about this major global event. But as a person who's a spiritual leader in some sense, it's, it's extra hard for me not to know what to say about it. But returning to the simplified ethics of Jesus, love God and love your neighbor, actually is helpful. Be because, well, 
here's the thing. Simple ethics is not easy ethics, first of all, right? Loving God when all of that is happening is harder. And if anybody tells you it's not, they're not being honest with you and probably not being honest with themselves. Loving God when you see the world going to shit in the way it's going right now is hard. And loving one's neighbor feels like way too disconnected and distant from the stuff that's really going down in the world. I want to love the Palestinian children being bombarded. I want to love the Israeli children who were the victims of this vicious terror attack. What good is loving my neighbor? I want a harder assignment. I want one that will make a difference. Well... I'm sorry to burst your and my bubble. But my well-developed geopolitical expertise is not going to make any difference in Palestine. And neither is yours. Neither, by the way, is your insight into the vagaries of the Second Amendment. Listen, if I have to one more time witness Someone saying, shall not be infringed. And then someone else saying, aha, well-regulated militia. Good, sir, I have hoisted you on your own petard. You did not read the full amendment. Good Lord, take your fedora off (laughs) and stop it. (sighs) I'm not trying to get fired this morning. That just might be what happens. He's up there swearing. He insulted my wardrobe. I've, the problem is, I've said all those same things. I've just been down the road. I'm a little older than some of you. Listen, number one rule of the internet is don't read the comments, but rule zero is don't write the comments. Just stop it. You are not doing anybody any good, and you're doing yourself a lot of bad. He said to himself. but people haven't read my really well-worded and diplomatically stated opinion. That's what I would really say to myself. It's very arrogant to think that I'm going to be the one who changes someone's mind. But here's the point. What if loving your neighbor includes loving the person sharing vaguely Islamophobic or anti-Semitic memes on social media right now? What if loving your neighbor means loving the person who's posting a picture of an assault rifle not to say that we shouldn't have them or use them, but to say that we have every right to bear them. I'm guessing that's the one in this particular room that's more uh, insulting and offensive and hurtful and harmful. What if loving your neighbor means loving the person who makes your blood boil? Here I will point out to you that other teaching of Jesus about how not murdering someone is great, but since most of us are doing a good job with that one, let's raise the bar a little bit. And consider the fact that calling your sibling a fool makes you liable to the fires of hell. And correcting that, that's what requires inner peace. And actually, I think it's also what can give you some inner peace once you have practiced it long enough. So simplifying one's ethics 
means working really hard on loving God and understanding what it means to love a God who we believe all kinds of things about that make us also think that the world shouldn't look the way it does. And loving your neighbor means bringing the, the same, uh, bringing an ugliness that has the same seed of the ugliness in the Middle East a little closer to home and doing something with that, uprooting it and replacing it with a seed of generosity and forgiveness and love. Because we cannot and must not say to people in the midst of of a life and death global conflict, you should just love your neighbors better when we can't even do the same thing about a little square on our phones that makes us angry. Let me conclude and let us conclude together with that verse in prayer once more. Would you please put that back on the screen for folks to see so that we can pray these words aloud two more times before we say amen. Let's do the whole thing twice. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let me be one who tries to live as a maker of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let me be one who tries to live as a maker of peace. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.